Guess what, everybody? The Chin Music Podcast is going to broadcast live on March 26th from 11 Wells Distillery near downtown St. Paul. That's right. 11 Wells Distillery, which has wonderful spirits like the Minnesota 13 Barrel Age Whiskey, as well as the Boiler Room Barrel Age Rum. You've heard us talk about the 11 Wells on the show. You can come see for yourself while listening to myself, Jim Suhan, and Roy Smalley talk about baseball, spirits, music, and more baseball. So check us out at 11 Wells Distillery on March 26th at 7 p.m. See you there. We hear questions like these all the time. Can TSR injury law help me if I'm hurt by a defective product? Yes. How about by a dog bite? Yeah. If you've been injured, it's TSR time. Call us today for a free consultation at 612-TSR-TIME. It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 12. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. It's an exciting time for college basketball fans. We're in the middle of March Madness, and we have two guests on this week's podcast to give us an inside look at how things work. First, Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle will join me, fresh off of his duties on the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee, which is the group that comes up with the 68 teams to include in the big dance. They also seed the teams and assign them regions. He'll lift the curtain a bit. He was in Indianapolis for Selection Sunday, then he was in Portland for the opening rounds, and he'll be in Chicago for the Sweet 16 this week. He gives us the inside scoop on what Selection Sunday is like. What are factors in selecting teams? and much more. Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota will be in the middle of the madness early next month when the women's Final Four happens at the Target Center. The University of Minnesota is the host institution for the event, which is returning to the Twin Cities for the first time since 1995. Golden Gopher Deputy Athletic Director and Senior Women's Administrator Julie Manning will join me to tell us all we need to know about the women's Final Four in Minnesota. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by our great friends at Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North MNA serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Our podcast is also brought to you by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. As always, our thanks to Tony Hoagland, a big-time Gopher fan. Our sponsors allow this show to be free for you. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast. You can also go back and listen to past podcasts. Last week, for example, we talked Gopher Football Pro Day with some great insider info from Minnesota Director of Player Personnel Marcus Hendrickson. It's absolutely free for you to subscribe and free to listen at any time. Batting leadoff today on Episode 12 of the Go Gopher Podcast, we have Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle, a member of the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee. Golden Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle, you're the first repeat guest on the Go Gopher Podcast here with Mike Rim. You were on Episode 2, and here 10 episodes later, you're on Episode 12, and we appreciate your time today. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to your listeners. You must be desperate to get people on your first uh, 
first two-time uh, appearance. So thank you. Well, when you're as important as you are on this NCAA selection committee, you know, that's important. Yeah, you know, it, it's been a great experience, Mike. You know, as you know, I was, I was fortunate last spring, uh, you know, was uh, nominated by the Big Ten Conference to serve as a Big Ten rep on the NCAA basketball committee. And it's been a great learning experience and, and you know, had a chance to be in Indianapolis for the selection. And I was out at Portland for the first and second round. So it's been a great experience. And, and uh, you know, it's great to represent the University of Minnesota in the Big Ten Conference on this great committee. Mike, it's, it's been an awesome experience. As you know, uh, you know, working with you at Minnesota, we've had a chance to go to uh, to the NCAA basketball tournament. When I was at Syracuse, uh, our team went to the Final Four. When I was at Boise State, we played in the NCAA tournament. And of course, at my time at Kentucky, I had a chance to be in the NCAA tournament and go to the Final Four. And it's really unique to see the tournament from this side of it, uh, you know, being on the selection committee and learning how the tournament is put together and all the work that the NCAA and their staff do to put together. And again, the men's basketball committee has been a great experience and, and just really thankful that have an opportunity to represent the University of Minnesota in the Big Ten Conference on this uh, great, great committee. How was that room in Indianapolis as you guys are trying to figure out those final handful of teams? And, uh, you know, I'm sure you have the the resumes up of, of these teams. What was that experience like? Uh, you know, it, it was a great learning experience, Mike. You know, uh, you know, the NCAA, we've had several meetings with them over the past eight months, nine months when I learned I was going to be on the committee. And, and they do such a great job of preparing you for that selection week. And they talk about, you know, just how close and race or thin the differences are between teams. And when you're making decisions, you know, you rely it impacts the kids, it impacts the coaches, it impacts the fan bases, and you want to make sure you make the best decisions. And what's unique is there's 12 of us, so you have 12 different perspectives if you look at these teams. And again, your goal is to, you know, the NCAA tournament has 32 AQs and 36 at-large teams, and your goal is to find the best 36 at-large teams. So I can tell you the difference between those teams is razor thin, and it was a great learning experience. It's pretty remarkable when you really do dive into it, and and I'm sure there are, you know, most fans are probably just interested in where their team goes and, you know, where it's seated in that. But when it gets down to it, the, you mentioned that margin of error. Um, and, and the Gophers, of course, have been on the bubble, too, in the past, where um, one win might be the difference from making the NCAA to not even making the NIT. I mean, it could be a one-win or two-win difference. I mean, it is a razor-thin margin, which means every game counts. Every game, you know, that that's a lot. I think the two takeaways, Mike, that I have is every game counts. You're exactly right, whether it's the first game of the year are a game in the Big Ten tournament. They're all important games, and you look at the full body of work. But the other thing I've learned is just how competitive this tournament is. You know, when we got down to the bracket and I had a chance to sit back, I, I flew back from Indianapolis late on Sunday, and I, I was looking at the bracket as, I was, as after it was unveiled to the public, and I'm looking at some of the first-round matchups, and I'm just thinking to myself, my gosh, these are big-time matchups in the first round. And, you know, as you know, I was out in Portland this past weekend and saw some big, big-time games. And so it's just really interesting to see how that all works out. So as obviously there's a set criteria uh, for you 12 folks who are trying to decide those at-large teams. And look, there's probably what, out of the 36, there's probably 25 that are, you know, anybody that's a fan can pick those. And then it really gets, you know, dicey probably that last handful. Um and, and the criteria is there, so you have to follow that. But do you have, like for me, just as a casual guy watching, I'm, I'm like if a team can prove that it can win some important games and maybe knock off a net rank 10 and a net rank 12, I can maybe overlook uh, if they lost to number 170 as opposed to a team that hasn't beaten anybody in the top 15 or whatever. Did you have some personal uh, thoughts as you help try to have input on that in terms of what mattered to you more than maybe something else? Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, the NCAA does such a great job. You know, again, they talk early on about how important, you know, it, it comes down to three things. Who did you play? 
where did you play and how did you do? And, and if you look at what Coach Johnson, his staff did this past year, we put together a very good schedule. Obviously, we're very fortunate to be in the Big Ten Conference because we're going to have a lot of quality games. Uh, you've heard the term quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four games. Right. Obviously, those games in the first two quads are very, very important. So when, when the NCAA, when you start to put together this bracket, you're looking at, again, at that strength of schedule, your quad one wins, the quality of those wins, what do they look like? And you do look at what are teams' best wins, what are teams' best losses, uh, but again, the unique thing about it, Mike, and, and one of the takeaways I have is, you know, it's it's 12 different people. It's athletic directors, it's conference commissioners, and we all come with different perspectives, different ideals on what we look for. And what I try to do, I try to be very consistent when I looked at teams. And and I had a chance, and the NCAA recommended this, that we put together a group back on our own campus. And so, you know, I, I had Ginny Yalen, who's one of our associate athletics directors, Paul Rovnack, uh, another associate athletic director, uh, Mike Weirspicky, another associate athletics director, and Ryan Livingston, our director of basketball operations. They all worked very close with me this past year and we kind of monitored the teams together uh we had a minnesota top 25 if you will to look at what we thought <laughs> were the top 25 teams in the country and that really helped me when i got to indianapolis so i have to give a big shout out to that group because they were phenomenal to help me be prepared when i went in that room and had to make those very difficult decisions as you said for those final six seven eight teams because again that that difference is razor razor thin. No, no question. Now, I did. If there was, I guess, I think generally there was not much. You know, in some years the the committee gets blasted. Like, how could this team get left in, and how could this team not be in? And I thought generally that was not the case here. I think I think generally it was accepted that hey, that was a pretty good field of sixty eight. Maybe some seedings, but you know, sometimes because of conference affiliations and rematches, you have to bump a team. So I think people understood that. I guess if there was one criticism I saw was that the conference championship games uh, didn't impact seeding. At least that's the way it appeared. So uh, was that the case? And can you talk a little about that process? Yeah, well, well what, what, again, Mike, another takeaway is that, you know, you look at the full body of work and, and obviously, you know, obviously teams can get hot in the Big Ten tournament or the ACC tournament, the SEC tournament, the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. You know, you see right. teams get hot and that's important. Trust me, those wins are very, very important because a lot of times they're quad one, quad two wins. But again, you want to look at the full season. You want to look at the entire pitcher, the entire body of work of the team. Who did they play all year? What was their strength of schedule? What was their winning record in those quad one, quad two games? So again, I can see where um, you know outsiders may look at it and say, well, my gosh, this team really tore it up in the in their conference tournament why didn't you look at them well maybe if you look at their non-conference schedule maybe one of the worst in the country right? right and so you've got to strike that balance so again it's a lot of um analytics and i always joke you've heard me use this this phrase many times i'm i'm an undergrad from drake four years of shakespeare and i do this for a living right uh, but but again it's been a great experience and really learned a lot and and i think things that will help us at minnesota as we continue to build our basketball program for not only the men but the women's side as well yeah as you were on that side of it as you said earlier in our in our discussion here uh, what was your takeaway from that that maybe you can come back and talk to Ben Johnson and say hey here's how the committee thinks or even Lindsay Whalen for that matter because I'm sure there's not a lot of difference on on the women's committee either uh, did you did you have a couple of things that you might share with the coaching staffs yeah, well, well, I think two things, Mike, and and, and I, I can tell you, you know, because of the gender equity review that was done after last year's men's and women's final four, we've had a lot of committee calls with both the men's and women's committee, which has been great because we've had a, a really good learning experience working with the women's committee, and and I know a lot of people on that committee. Beth Getz, who uh, worked at yeah. Minnesota, is the vice chair of the women's committee. She'll be the chair next year. Uh, Lisa Peterson, who I worked with at Kentucky, is now the the number two person at Oregon. She's on that committee, so we had lots of conversations and interactions. So there's no doubt uh, this. Experience Experience allows me to look at both our men's and women's basketball program and try to help them. And again, I don't mean to repeat myself. 
who you play, where'd you play, and how did you do? Yeah. Uh, I think those are very, very important. And, and when I talk to Lindsay and Ben, we talk about that all the time. How can we be very intentional with our scheduling? And again, we're very, very blessed with the Big Ten Conference. It's so strong on the women's side. It's so strong on the men's side. And as Ben continues to build our program, as Lindsay builds our program, has that top seven recruiting class coming in next year, You know, we'll get those quality gains because of our conference. But we also have to be very intentional in our non-conference scheduling to make sure we schedule people that will help build and enhance our residents when we do get into that selection process. You maybe saw the best March Madness moment up to this point when an Indiana cheerleader uh, put uh, he, he uh, put one of his fellow cheerleaders up on his hands to get a basketball out of the shot clock. That was pretty cool. You, you know, Mike, I, I, I was exchanging text messages with Jeremiah Carter, our, our director of compliance. You know Jeremiah real well, and he's got a great sense of humor. And, and uh, I told him, you can't make it up. Uh, the ball actually gets stuck. And I looked at the official in my mind. I'm sitting on the scorer's table, kind of where, where you and Spencer sit for basketball games. I'm yeah. right down there in row one, and, and, I, and I happen to be right next to the, the bench of, of the Indiana bench, and everybody's kind of looking at that ball stuck up there. And all of a sudden, this cheerleader stood up and said, I got an idea and uh, it worked. And, and uh, Jeremiah sent me a text and I said, Jeremiah, that falls under the category of you can't make it up. No, so, but what a great moment. What a great moment. Yeah, that better show up on the uh, one shining moment at the conclusion of the <laughs> tournament because that was awesome. No doubt about it. You got some TV time during that. Every time uh, I know on at least Thursday, every time they showed Mike Woodson, the Indiana coach, uh, you were showing up. Uh, so you got to be uh, cognizant uh, of, of that uh, TV time over the weekend. Got to be very mindful of that no doubt. Be very mindful of that. <laughs> so it's a good you don't seat. Become the next emoji. Yeah, no doubt. But you, you so you had a, a good seat, um, obviously uh, in the house. Uh, you were the on-site, I believe, is it the on-site administrator or whatever the official title is. So what what do those duties entail while you were in Portland? What what were some things that you had to take care of there? Yeah, well, again, Mike, as you know, this is my first year on the committee, and it's been such. A great learning experience from again selection week last week to getting out to Portland. Um, you know now I'm headed to Chicago this week. It's been a, been a great great experience. And and what's nice is uh, you know I have the chance to work. The NCA sends a site rep out here as well, and and I have a chance to work with Ron English. And I think Ron, this is a 16th or 7th NCA tournament, so I'm grateful for him. And 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 when we get out here, obviously we meet with the teams, we meet with the coaches. Um, we have a chance. We do uh, what we call, you know, the the introductory meeting when all the teams get here to kind of walk through the policies and procedures of the tournament. And then we had a transition meeting. Uh, so after the uh, first round games on Thursday, we had a transmission meeting on uh, Friday where we met with the, the four teams that were advancing. And then when those teams won on Sunday, you have another meeting with them as they prepare for the regional. So there's lots of meetings and, and I have a chance. Uh, you know, what's really neat is I, I sit courtside, which is a great seat and, and have a chance. You know, I had a chance to sit next to the Gonzaga bench, uh, Indiana, UCLA uh, and Memphis, you know, which is great to, to see those coaches, right. St. Mary's. Uh, and you have a chance to interact with them. And I've been fortunate. I've had a chance to meet a lot of these coaches just through the years of being in college athletics for so long. And it's nice to see people again and spend time with them. But it's been a really neat experience. And as I said, it's just a great, great experience and take great pride representing the University of Minnesota and the Big Ten on this committee. Uh, as as uh, everything, of course, is is on, uh, you know, predetermined sites, obviously, for years in advance. And, and certainly that's part of it. Um, as a committee, when you guys discuss that, um, trying to pick and choose and, hey, this is a good spot for here and this is a good spot for here because I did see some people tweeting like man there's a lot of empty seats here and a lot of empty seats there but sometimes it depends on like for example if Kentucky's playing uh, you know their fans are going to buy all the tickets in the house and then when their game's done they're going to leave empty seats probably right 
Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I can tell you this past weekend in Portland, we had great crowds and, and, and had a chance. Oregon State served as the host and they did a wonderful job. Their staff and uh, Scott Barnes, who's their athletic director. I've known Scott for a long time. When, when I was the AD at Boise State, he was the AD at Utah State. And when I was at Syracuse, Scott was at Pittsburgh. So he and I have worked together a lot. And and his staff did a wonderful job in Portland and, and obviously in Chicago. You know, they got great ticket sales in Chicago. Should be an exciting weekend. And of course, the Final Four is one of the marquee events that, you know, that you see all year. So again, and, you know, the, the NCAA does, they are predetermined sites and they're done years in advance. And, and the NCAA does a lot of research when they look at different sites, when they go to sites, as you know, Minnesota, we're hosting the women's final four here uh, in a couple of weeks. And, and we have such a great, great reputation of hosting NCAA championships with uh, whether it be the men's final four, the women's final four, the frozen fours that we've hosted and all the other national championships. So uh, they do predetermine them. But again, I, I can tell you in Portland and, and in Chicago, we're expecting great crowds. Well, and you mentioned the women's final four. I did have that on my list of things to ask. It was down the list, but as long as we brought it up, let's talk that and we'll circle back later on some other things. But um, obviously that's a huge thing. It's at the target center. I know Julie Manning, your deputy has helped uh, organize that as well as many others on the staff. How exciting is that for uh, uh, the university of Minnesota to be the host institution for that? It's just a great responsibility and great visibility for, for our university and for our program. And Mike, as you know, again, as we just talked about, we, we've got such a great, great reputation of hosting these national championship events. Again, swimming and diving, you name it, we've hosted, you know, and, and right. we've got such a great reputation. And Mike, I need to recognize our staff. I, I don't think people understand how much time goes into that, how much time's involved in hosting those events. And as you noted, Julie Manning, Tom McGinnis, Stephanie Davis, uh, Paul Rodnack, Michelle Train, I could go on down and yeah. down the list of people who are who are donating their time about you know being volunteers for this great event and there's no doubt we want to do it the right way and with it being 50 years of title nine we take great pride in celebrating that and 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 our women's athletics in minnesota have always been such a strong strong uh, national model so it's great that we're gonna have the women's final four here and look forward to a great weekend coming up here uh, in a week and a half of course the men's final four was here it was the last time it was contested in front of fans so uh lucky this year in new orleans there'll be fans back at that uh, obviously the pandemic uh, you know created some uh, some chaos there in, in terms of fans and and you know the one final four totally wiped out altogether. Um, so I guess since you're on the committee, is there you know is there any timeline on when U.S. Bank Stadium might uh, be put back on the list or at least a bid submitted for another yeah. opportunity? Yeah, well, well you, you know, Mike, I haven't uh, been on it for this first year. We haven't gotten to that process where we start to look at future sites. But but obviously, uh, I know, uh, you know, U.S. Bank was a very successful Final Four. Uh, the crowds that showed up, you were part of it, the atmosphere, mm -hmm. everything with the, with the seed. It was phenomenal. And, and I know we hope to always be aggressive in that process because, again, we take great, great pride working with our partners at Minnesota Sports and Events uh, in the Twin Cities on hosting those marquee events. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Gophers also host some other things as well in terms of over the course of time. And um, I know the Big Ten, even the Big Ten championships, the uh, track and field will be coming up here, uh, I guess, what, in is that May, I think? So uh, yep. a couple yep. of months. Right. So, and that'll be kind of nice to finally, finally, right, get a chance to showcase uh, the new the new facility for the track and field team. Because, again, the pandemic created such a, uh, you know, such chaos that there, there hasn't been a real uh, chance to get a marquee event on campus from a track and field perspective. Yeah, we're very excited. And, you know, Coach Bingle and his staff have done a wonderful job. Obviously, we won the indoor Big Ten championship. 
and uh, and won the cross country, so we can go for a three peat, and and it's going to be pretty exciting to see uh, when that Big Ten championship comes to to our campus. <laughs> so let me circle back. We'll talk some more about this selection committee uh, here, and 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 uh, I, I want to, if you can, maybe maybe there's some some uh, you know trade secrets that, that you don't want to give out in terms of how that room was, but um, I want to, if we can, maybe go inside that room for a little bit, share what you can. Um, I mean, was it was it an intense? Uh, was there people shouting? Was it calm uh, as, as you're getting? down to that final deal and then when did you think you had that field set was that pretty much set maybe as soon as Saturday or Friday uh, depending on on what uh, you know some of the outcomes of the title because for example Richmond you had to wait on that game because they're likely not in otherwise kind of how did that unfold especially those late minutes of uh, of trying to get it finalized yeah well well a great question you know you know Mike how I would kind of explain the process is as you know there's 68 teams in, in the field and so there, there are 32 AQs or automatic qualifiers so for example uh, when a team wins their conference uh, tournament uh, you know we'll, we'll take the Big Ten when I will win the Big Ten they are an AQ team and they take that AQ spot one of those 32 spots and, and then you have 36 what you call at-large spots. And the goal of that is you're supposed to pick, as a committee member, your responsibility is to identify the best 36 teams out there. And, and what I found interesting was you're not supposed to look at conference affiliation or anything like that. You find the best 36 teams. And, and so we have access to um, uh, data, you know, the, the, the net rankings, which is which is a tool that the NCAA used to measure all the teams in terms of quality wins, uh, tough losses, best win, worst loss, et cetera, strength of schedule, all those type of metrics. So I can tell you when you're in that room, um, as you start to get the AQs, as you start to work your way through the week, I got to, to Indianapolis last, uh, I guess a week and a half ago on Tuesday, my, my timing's messed up, but I got to, <laughs> when you all went to the men's big 10 basketball tournament, yeah. I got there on Tuesday and, and you start to get the AQs almost every day in some of those smaller conferences. So we would start to be able to plug in the AQs and then as a committee, we would start to look at what we thought were some of the at-large teams, and we started to have those conversations. And then we would look at starting to vote some of those teams into the tournament. And so I would say late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, you start to have a feel of who's going to be in the tournament. And then you have to start to look at seeding and where you place people. And, of course, there's all types of policies and procedures. You don't like to have teams to have repeat matchups, especially being in the same conference. You played somebody twice. You don't have to play them a third time early in the tournament, et cetera, like that. So – once you go through that process, and, and I think there was five championship games on that Sunday uh, with the with the Big Ten and the American Athletic Conference being, I think, the last two championships. So you wait for those games to get done, and then once those games are done, you can finish the seeding. So you'll have a few contingency brackets. Hey, if, if Team A wins, this is what their bracket's going to look like with the seeding. If Team B wins, this is what the bracket's going to look like with seeding. And then based on those results, that will become the final bracket. Well, and you, you think about Richmond, for example, and it's a beauty of sports right? If they don't win against Davidson, they're not in the field, right? They're going to be maybe not in the NIT. So they get the automatic bid. They're in the field. They get seated 12th. They face a red hot Iowa team. And guess what? Now they're playing Providence for a chance to go to the Sweet 16. Beauty of sports, right? I was going to say, Mike, that's what makes this tournament so special. You never know. I mean, who would have ever thought, you know, uh, St. Peter's who beat Kentucky. I mean, St. Peter's, I think, finished third in their conference. Uh, they ended up winning in the regular season. They ended up winning the AQ bid in their conference tournament. And here they are having, a, you know, the, the, the win over Kentucky and the NSA tournament, all those special things. So, again, I think it's what makes the tournament so special. My fans love it so much. Man, I know you loved your time at Kentucky. It's a great basketball school, but I bet uh, Big Blue Nation is not uh, feeling it this week. Well, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was back in Portland last weekend and, um, 
you know, Portland was a Thursday, Saturday side, just like where Kentucky was playing in Indianapolis. And, and obviously I follow Kentucky. I follow Boise State. Boise State actually played out here in Portland. So it was good to see, uh, you know, Leon Rice, the head coach at Boise State, who's a good friend of mine. And I worked there for four years, as you know. And so you follow those games very closely. And, and that Kentucky score surprised me. You know, I think I saw the last time, I think they had an eight-point lead you know, maybe at the four minute TV timeout, then they ended up losing that game in overtime. And again, credit to St. Peter's, those kids battled, they, they worked their tail off and they got the win. And, and again, I've got, I got great, great thoughts for Kentucky and it's just a tough loss for them to have, no doubt. And uh, if you uh, are going to monitor Mike Grimm's bracket, he had the Kentucky Wildcats winning it all. So I'm out, you know, it's over for me, but uh, that, yeah, but that, that's the beauty of the tournament. That, that really is the beauty of the tournament. It's not beautiful for all those folks in Lexington, but the rest of the country, uh, you know, sometimes it's like when the Yankees lose, right? People uh, take joy in that. You sometimes you have to play the villain when you're the, when you're the big dog, so to speak. And unfortunately Kentucky uh, and Iowa, and there's some, others, I guess, that got bit here in this uh, opening weekend. Um, those last teams, as as you're uh, winding down, how many spots do you think it came down to with how many teams you had to, you know, squeeze into those spots when it really ultimately came down to the final, you know, whatever number of teams? Yeah, again, you know, Mike, the NCAA staff, they do such a great job. You know, Danny Gavitt, uh, Joanne Scott, David Warlock, LJ Wright, uh, Cal, I could name and name people. <laughs> and as they kind of, as the committee room, you know, you talked about are people standing up screaming, yelling, pounding the table. It's none of that, Mike. It's, yeah. it's, it's a conversation just like this. And, and we're having conversations. And again, I can't tell you when you get down to those final teams, it is razor thin. And, and you know, I, I always, you know, we all have warts, right? So when you look at these, these teams resumes and, and, you know, team A may have a great win early in the season and a tough loss halfway through the season and they lost in the first round of their conference tournament, but they have a great strength of schedule, right? And so they they have an advantage. But then you look at Team B, and maybe Team B in the second half of the season took off and had a lot of great success and, and didn't have maybe a tough loss in quad three or quad four. Now all of a sudden you start to give them an edge. And then as a committee member, you start to think and realize, like, man, if, if I pick Grimm's team, I don't pick Coyle's team. Yeah. That means those kids don't have that experience. And that's where it starts to get really tight because, again, I, I think if you talk to anybody in college athletics, you're about the student athletes, the experience of the student athletes. And, again, you've been in Minnesota long enough, but you go back to – remember in Des Moines how special that was when we were down in Des Moines? Our fans, the team, the win. I still remember Dupree, McRae, so excited when we got that win against Louisville in the first round. I mean, those are moments that, that go through your mind and you're saying, okay, I'm going to vote for this team. And that means that team doesn't get in. And that's where it got really, really hard and really, really difficult to make those tough decisions. Yeah. And I suppose maybe not specific to you, but there are people in that room who might be really good friends with athletic directors from a school that you got to not include. And you really like that person or maybe you're a friend of the coach. And uh, I suppose that even, you know, you think about the players, but then you think about friendships and relationships and, you know, you got to do the right thing. And sometimes that isn't easy, I suppose. Yeah, it's part of the process. And, you know, it's important. You know, Mike, and you know this, uh, like if Minnesota was one of those teams and and we're going to get there, I promise you, Gopher fans, we're going to get there. I, I, you know, Ben Johnson and Lindsey Whalen are going are gonna to put us in a great spot. If, if they're talking about your school, so if they're talking about Minnesota, I'm not allowed in the room. So I actually would leave the room. And then after the committee discussed Minnesota, I could come back in the room. And then the committee, um, Dan Gavin, who runs the NCAA tournament, he would give me an update on what the conversation was about. So they make it very clear, like if I had uh, – 
relatives that worked at different schools. I can't talk about those schools. They yeah. have me leave the room to make sure we protect the the integrity of the tournament. And and you know, athletics, college athletics in general is is a is a is a big fraternity, so to speak. So just and, and again, this is just a citing example. I'm not suggesting that this happened, but let's for the fun of it, like you have great friends out there. You were at Kentucky for a while. Mitch Barnhart, the AD there, is one of your closest friends, right? So just for the fun of it, let's say Kentucky's a bubble team, and I use this as an example. Could, can you still be part of that discussion, even though people in the room know that you're, you know, really good friends and may have, you know, weekly contact with him just as a general friend? Yeah, I, I can be a part of that conversation. Yep, you, you can be a part of that conversation. And and if if I ever felt that it would uh, impede my judgment, I would definitely step out and, and make gotcha. that very clear. And and as you know, I was actually uh, I was scheduled to go to San Diego mm-hmm. um, uh, originally for the first and second round site, and um, they sent me to um, Portland because the AD at UCLA, Mark Jarman is on the committee with me and UCLA was sent out to Portland. So since UCLA came out to Portland, Martin went to San Diego and I came to Portland. And of course, Boise state was here where I served as the athletic director. Yeah. So uh, it's all good in that side of it. What, uh, what is the reasoning there? I w- so let's say for example, uh, you're on the committee and Ben Johnson gets the team in, you couldn't go watch your own team. What's the reasoning there? Uh, my understanding is they just want to make sure that they keep it very professional and neutral. And, and, and so if, if your team's at a site, they would prefer that you're not at that site. So again, uh, I'm hopeful I, I have five more years on the committee, uh, hopeful that Minnesota, both on our women's and men's side, have lots of NCAA tournament appearances. And I tell Coach Johnson, I hope I don't see him for like four years because yeah, I think we're doing really cool things. You do not want to watch any go for tournament games uh, over the next four years, and that's not because you don't want them to make it. It's because you want to uh, them to be in it and be forced to go somewhere else, right? No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. You know I you know, I believe maroon and gold, man. We, <laughs> we need to get back in the tournament. It's such a great experience. Well, you have said in the past, in fact, I brought it up this week, uh, um, in a different conversation, I forget where now, but um, that when you uh, took part in that Final Four with both the men's and women's teams at Syracuse, I think the term you've used a few times is it gets addicting. Um, so uh, now you're around it. You watched, uh, you know, you watch games in Portland over the weekend. You, I, I don't know if you got to see our buddy Daryl Thompson, but of course his son played on that Indiana team. I know he was out there. We were exchanging some text messages. A rough day for Indiana, but still, you get to see all that. Um, how much uh, we mentioned Ben Johnson. And, and that team and uh, and that addictive nature of trying to get back into that field uh, in a general sense. Now, year one uh, is is in the rearview mirror. What was your sense of how year one went with Ben and the Golden Gophers? You, you know, Mike, he exceeded every expectation. You know, he, uh, you, you know, Ben, I shared with you before, that was the most competitive search I've ever been a part of uh, for a head coach. And he absolutely won that position. He won that opportunity and he did such a great job with me, with president Gable and, and her support and, and, and the committee that we had that put together when we brought him in here. And, and I can tell you, Ben and I have had lots of conversations and lots of text message exchanges uh, during the NCAA tournament this past weekend in Portland, you know, because uh, it is addicting. And, and I mean that in the most positive way ever. Like you want to be a part of those things. And, you know, I, I talked about when I was at, Boise and I went to the Fiesta Bowl, uh, Syracuse to the Final Four with our women's program, with our men's program. Uh, when we went to the Outback Bowl, Mike, don't you want to get back and experience that? Yes. I mean, it's it just <laughs> one of those things. You want to get back there and experience it because you see the impact it has on your, most importantly, your student athletes and your coaches, but your fan base. And, and you know, I, I can tell you, um, 
uh, when I got out to Portland last week, I, I had to chair a couple of meetings with the teams that were here. And, and when I'm talking to the different administrators and director of basketball operations, uh, I made it very clear that it's much better being on their side of the table than my side of the table <laughs> because they have a chance to compete for a championship. And, and there is no doubt in my mind, Ben, every day wakes up trying to figure out how we can get on that other side of the table and compete for championships. And so, again, I'm just so thankful for the work he's done what he's put together, uh, you know, the type of team we have, the character of that team and the way they do things. Uh, I think we have very bright days ahead of us. And, and Mike, I can say this, and again, I don't say these things lightly. Every coach I talk to in, in Portland, um, you know, every coach I'll see this weekend in Chicago, the Big Ten coaches that I talk to all talk about what a home run hire Ben is. And they talk about how great he's going to be at Minnesota. And again, I'm just so thankful that he's here and he believed in us. And he's here to bring uh, go for basketball back to the NCAA tournament and compete for those championships. And and now too, Mark, he's got a year under his belt. As you know, uh, he he you know he was not a he did not have previous head coach. He had plenty of experience as a coach, but not as a head coach. And we talked to him about last week on his final coaches show about some of the stuff he learned. And he said he wasn't caught off guard by a lot, but there's just a comfort level now. Well, certainly because a year ago about this time right? The whirlwind started for him, and now you're trying to assemble a roster and figure out who who's staying, who's coming, who's going. Well, now you get a year under your belt. you got some evidence to show recruits of, of how you want to play and some success and some different things there. So uh, clearly now to, to move into year two with much more solid footing just in general has to make everybody feel good. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you know, Mike, I remember when I was sitting in Portland watching the games. Um, it was a year ago this past weekend that we hired Ben. Uh, yeah. You know, he was we had him and some other candidates at our house. Uh, on on a Sunday morning, early in the morning, and I remember the, the NCAA round two was starting, and and we hired Ben and got him. I think we had the press conference maybe Tuesday or Wednesday of that week and got him in, which would be this week right now uh, that we got him in here. And and again, I, you know, I shot him a text at the end of the season. As you know, I couldn't be at the Big Ten basketball tournament because I had to be in, in Carmel, Indiana, for the selection process. And I shot him a text after the game, and I just said, you know, boss, think about everything you've learned and how that's going to help us as we move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that fist pump emoji back from him, which just gets me jacked up and excited because I know uh, he learned so much this past year, and I don't think anything caught him off guard. You know, Mike, I remember one of the interview questions I asked him, I, and I remember specifically asking this question. I said, you know, when, when you're going against, you know, Tom Izzo, you're going against, uh, you know, Matt Painter, you're going against some of these coaches that are well-established in the Big Ten, you know, what's going to happen? And he looked at me and without even blinking, he said, my knees won't buckle. And his knees didn't buckle. Our no. kids competed every night. They, they worked their tails off and he competed every night. And so uh, that gave me great confidence. And again, I, I just know uh, he's a great coach now. He's going to be an even better coach next year. And again, I think there's brighter days ahead for Gopher basketball. Yeah, very much. Well said. Well, hey, I know you, it's a busy week. You're uh, getting ready to head to Chicago. We appreciate some really good insight. Thanks for taking us into that room. I think people are always fascinated by the selection process and to get a little insight on that and uh, some excitement certainly heading into this offseason with Gopher Hoops as well. Thank Thanks so much. Hey, Mike, we appreciate you. Have a great day and go Gophers. My thanks to Mark Coyle for giving us a behind-the-scenes look at Selection Sunday and much, much more. When we come back, we'll talk NCAA Women's Basketball Final Four with Deputy Athletic Director Julie Manning. First, though, a word from our sponsor on the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm. Hey, Gopher fans, this is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm show. 
We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900 or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. And welcome back to episode 12 of the Go Gopher podcast. Julie Manning is the Deputy Athletic Director and Senior Women's Administrator for the University of Minnesota, and she joins us here uh, in this segment. And first of all, uh, good to see you, Julie. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity to be on and talk about some of my very favorite topics. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Man, it's so exciting to uh, to have uh, March Madness happen in Minnesota, as it will here the first weekend in April uh, with the Women's Final Four. First time since 1995, the uh, Twin Cities have hosted that great event. And uh, there's a lot of things that coincide with it, which we'll get to in the podcast. But I first just want to ask, you know, how how thrilled you are to uh, to have it here in our city? Just elated. I, I mean, to have the opportunity um, to host this grand jewel of an event um, is amazing. As you mentioned, it doesn't happen very often that you have the opportunity. But quite frankly, when we made this pitch to the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee a couple of years ago, it just made sense that it would be held here at the University of Minnesota, uh, that it would be in our Twin Cities in this great state of Minnesota, who so um, often embrace girls and women in sport. And we do it so well that we felt like we were the perfect place to host this event. Yeah, there's so much going on uh, from from that standpoint. We're, we're uh, it, I don't know if it's coincidental, but coincidentally, Title IX's 50 year anniversary is this year when Minnesota gets to host this event. And certainly, there's a lot of ties. I know the the Gophers uh, and the administration has done a lot this year in honoring some of the great female athletes of 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 time of all time with with the maroon and gold. And if people want to go to the Gopher webpage and find some of those vignettes and some of the articles and things, they certainly can do that. But uh, it's also a cool touch that. Uh, that it coincides with the Final Four. And I'm guessing there's some stuff in terms of the themes and different uh, activities going on that, that will weave uh, some of those great stories and great history into this event here in Minnesota. Yeah, and, and you know, Mike, that was the thing a couple of years ago when we made the pitch. We had no idea what was going to actually happen. But what we have seen over the course of this last year, because really the local organizing committee who have done a phenomenal job really started the activation uh, related to Title IX and our corporate sponsors a good nine or 10 months ago. And, and so what we have seen is the education, the recognition, the awareness of not only the women who are playing this great sport of basketball and those who coach it, but what's happened is that these corporate sponsors have really started to acknowledge, recognize, celebrate, and, and continue to educate the women executives uh, that are in their, each of their organizations, and the women who work there. So it's been really, really neat across the board to see all of these sorts of things kind of uh, activate and unfold and just learning so much about the women, the women leaders in this community, and uh, a great number of the men who are celebrating the women as well. So that was kind of an offshoot that we had no idea what happened, but so grateful uh, for this opportunity to uh, 
to just be a citizen in, in this uh, Twin Cities area right now and see all this unfold. Yeah, and you think of some of the great uh, women's uh, sporting events that have happened and, and some of the great uh, different things. You, I mean, you think back to the current Gopher women's coach, Lindsey Whalen, and, and, and what she did in the early to mid-2000s with this Gopher team, with her teammates and coaching staff getting uh, to the uh, to the final four. And I think at that point, really elevating women's sports. You think about uh, some of those girls were maybe six, seven, eight years old then, or now some maybe in the end, WNBA, right? I mean, and some certainly playing college basketball now. And and of course, she uh, it, it's great to have her back on campus and seeing what she's doing with this great recruiting class and uh, postseason this year and, 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 and different things. And then you think of the WNBA, Minnesota Lynx, and the titles they've won. Uh, and obviously, the University of Minnesota has had such great success in women's sports. And um, I mean, you look statewide, Duluth was just in the Frozen Four in hockey, you know, playing for the championship uh, this past weekend. So there's a lot of a lot of cool things happening in Minnesota. And this kind of fits in with with all of that. It, it really does. And, you know, Minnesota sports and events, um, they do a marvelous job, obviously, of hosting huge events, the Ryder Cup, the Super Bowl, the NCAA men's basketball final four. Uh, we had hoped that we were going to host the NCAA wrestling. And of course, COVID brought that to a, a very short uh, stint. Um, we hosted the NCAA volleyball pro, uh, tournament. We are able, this, this city um, is able to host these great events and it, and it just makes sense. And I just think it accentuates the opportunity for all of us who live here, but certainly for our student athletes and frankly, for our staff who work these events that have a once in a lifetime opportunity to work in NCAA men's basketball or NCAA women's basketball or a, a Super Bowl. So it's it's quite a recruiting tool, to tell you the truth, um, with employees in the facilities and special events area that we have here. Yeah, and, and you think about some of the events and some of the different things. I mean, I, I remember how supportive and 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 current, not not just remember as it's the past because it still certainly happens. How supportive sports fans in Minnesota are of of women's sports and the growth and the coverage. And uh, we're seeing more stories on front pages now, and we're seeing bigger ratings in TV and those kind of things. But um, I, I even recall back to when the Lynx, uh, the, the Target Center, which is the host of the Final Four this year, was going under renovation, and the Lynx played that uh, that that championship series the finals at the barn and how electric that night or as yeah. many of those nights were i mean that barn was was uh, you know it had a, a life of its own so it sold out crowds and and people supporting women's athletics but that that was another kind of cool tie to this to this whole theme so to speak yeah and, and the links have very much been a prominent partner in in all of this and you will see them this next week, things kick off already on Sunday, right. um, March 27th in the afternoon. And you're going to see the links out, <clears throat> the players, the, the coaching staff, of course, a, a great deal. They're a wonderful partner um, to have as well, along with all of our other corporate partners. Again, Minnesota Sports and Events uh, do an amazing job. Um, they follow through with what they say is going to happen when they make the pitch to the NCAA. And our volunteers in this community are really second to none. And uh, we lean on them a, a great deal. I think they really enjoy it, um, but they show up and they support when they're not in duty. Uh, they come out and they're big fans as well. So it's a great place. I, I mean, we've got all the all, all the tools. We've got a wonderful airport. We have an incredible um, hospitality, hospitality industry here with all of our hotels and restaurants and close proximity. 
it just makes really good sense for us to host something like this. Yeah, no question. So based on on what we've talked about with corporate sponsors, with the the, the uh, idea that sports fans get behind an event like this, uh, my hunch is that this Final Four, these three games are all sold out, and if people don't have tickets, they may have to explore the secondary market at this point. Is that true? We're awfully close. Okay. So for the semifinal game, we're within 700 tickets of being sold out, and the final game on, on Sunday is within 500 tickets. I suspect, Mike, um, that as soon as these uh, games are played on um, next Sunday and Monday night, those tickets will be gone. So for the local folks, if you want to go, now would be the time uh, to reach out and purchase your tickets. Um, You will get the best deal uh, if you go through the um, NCAA site to get your tickets. Um, The secondary market has them, no no question. You'll pay a little bit more for them, but... um, uh, a few left, and I would encourage people to come. You're going to see the most incredible women's basketball players out there, student athletes. It's going to be remarkable. I, I think most people are watching the tournament right now. We know that there's a lot of eyeballs on the games that are taking place, and certainly the arenas are very full uh, where the women are actually playing. But if you've not watched women's basketball in a handful of years for whatever reason, you won't believe believe the athleticism of these young women is remarkable. Yeah, and 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 so first, I guess then the good news is people listening to the podcast, there might be a chance to sneak in and get some of those tickets that are remaining now. So if you're listening, saying, "Oh man, that snuck up on me," you, you have a chance yet, but hurry. Uh, but two, you hit the nail on the head with some of the, uh, and I think it does speak to the growth of the sport. There's so many good players now. We're seeing upsets. We're seeing uh, teams that are two seeds go down, as we did last weekend. Uh, you know, a Minnesota, in fact, hit the game-winning shot to knock Iowa out, and the best player maybe in the country. Unfortunately, if you're looking for, you know, marquee names, she's out of the tournament, but it was a cool story to see a Minnesotan hit that game-winning shot. A sold-out Carver-Hawkeye arena in that first round. Uh, Iowa State, I know that a school near and dear to your heart is is into the Sweet 16 as we record this, and um, you know, that that's a cool story as well, and uh, that would be certainly a, a quote, upper Midwest local angle. If they can keep going, South Dakota had this great win over Baylor and um, it's you know 15 years ago it was you know UConn Tennessee and they'd win by 40 and that was fine it helped popularize the sport but I think it's better now when more teams have a chance to win and there's just so many good players well you're right you're right and and these upsets are really really good for the game of uh, women's basketball because um, so much parity in, in, in the athletes that are playing. There's right now, there's still four Big Ten teams that are in this Sweet 16, which is remarkable. We've we've known for quite a while now that the Big Ten has really elevated um, in, in the Big Ten Conference. And, and of course, we see it week in and week out with the teams that we're competing against. But there's just a lot of excitement. Of course, UConn is still there, yep. still alive. And, and Paige Beckers, my gosh, just what a dream come true for, frankly, all of us to have an opportunity to see us if they should advance and and, um, and to play. And, of course, she's coming back. Uh, I do know that they're limiting her minutes, yeah. being cautious, which is wonderful that the coach um, thinks of those things and he cares so deeply for her. But uh, wouldn't that be a story, too? Right. And obviously, South Carolina, with with kind of the dynasty that uh, Don Staley's built there, uh, that would be, a, you know, certainly a, a marquee program if they can can advance. But at the bottom line is you're going to get four really good teams playing in Minneapolis, right? Absolutely. I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't miss a game uh, with those four teams, whoever they are advancing. It's it's just going to be remarkable. It'll be an electric environment. 
in in the Target Center both Friday night and and then Sunday. Uh, Sunday evening as well. You mentioned something interesting there about the that this can use uh, as a recruiting tool. Uh, I suppose not just for the University of Minnesota in, the, in relation to hey, if you come and work here, you have an opportunity to uh, volunteer or or work in these events. But even I would suspect corporate people and businesses in town, whether it's the Women's Final Four and all the other events you mentioned, that 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 can help too. But I do want to ask you in relation to that, what the University of Minnesota's role is as the host institution. Um, and I know you're helping, you know, uh, head that whole situation up. So what is the role and how many people are, are taking that role on here uh, to represent the maroon and gold as the host school? Yeah, and, and, and you're right. There's a, it's a big responsibility. And I must say Tom McGinnis and Stephanie Davis are really um, taking the lead on this. Tom McGinnis mentioned this morning that we have about 90 staff members, 90 full-time staff members who are really working the event. And so that brings in the communications folks, the facilities, our athletic trainers, of course, um, all of the um, folks that really make our events go on a, on a daily basis here. We've just picked them up and we've moved them about two miles to the Target Center. And we're asking a great deal of them. There's a lot of planning uh, that goes into it. Again, with the men's basketball tournament having been here not very long ago, they're kind of getting, they've gotten into a rhythm and they, and they know what to expect. But we do, um, we'll have almost 100 volunteers basically that will be coming from our staff and relocating over to the Target Center for that period of time. And again, it really is a week long um, uh, activity there. It really starts on Sunday uh, at, Mar- at the Mall of America, goes all week long. And then of course the games finish around 9 p.m. Um, a week from that Sunday. So it's a week long of events, which means very, very long hours for our staff members. But you know what, Mike, they love it. I mean, this is, again, to be a citizen in this community is pretty remarkable what we have access to, certainly on the sporting front and uh, and beyond, really. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, it certainly it's a perk. They get to go, uh, you know, talk to, you know, uh, in some cases now these uh, players are celebrities. The coaches certainly are celebrities, and uh, you see them on TV. So you get to work in that field. You get to watch the game. That said, it, 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 it's not uh, it, it's not overtime pay. It's it, This is a volunteer activity. It's time away from family, certainly for some of those that may have family and uh, time away from other things they may want to do. But it, it really is kind of a cool thing that uh, the commitments there, 90, you say, plus staff members uh, involved with this. Yeah. And, and you know what, coming out of COVID, I think there's just this extra excitement <laughs> to, to uh, be involved with people um, and, and to see these great big crowds mounting. Um, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, the WBCA, of course, comes in. They have their convention right in alignment with the Final Four. And so you'll see a lot of those coaches walking in our streets and our skywalks um, at our restaurants as well. And so it's it's a who's who. There's no doubt about it. There are people who frankly come from all over the country, but in some cases all over the world, to women's basketball final four. So you never know who you might see. When I was in, uh, I think it was Indianapolis, it was been years ago that I went to a final four and Tom Cruise was there. <laughs> I mean, you just don't ever know who you're going to run into. There's a lot of fans uh, that, that are out there and uh, just this gathering point that this NCAA women's basketball brings um, 
every year it's a historic opportunity. Yeah, no, no doubt. Now you mentioned the Mall of America, and let's say for fans who either on the weekend they can't get to it, or maybe the tickets are out of their price range, or maybe by the time they hear this it's sold out. There are some fan events, though, that, that you can go to during the week. Can you give us a little insight on, on some of that if people might be interested to take part, even if they can't make any of the three games? Yes. And, and that's what I think the um, NCAA Women's Basketball Committee does that's so special is that they realize this. They really want it to be um, just a huge event, not just the games. They really want to create and spark uh, interest and engage uh, families, young and old, to be. So we do kick it off at Mall of America. Kind of a neat thing that they're doing. Delta Dental is sponsoring a floss event. And so it's a game of horse as we would normally know it, uh, 20 women executives in the community are going to play a game of horse against each other. Delta Dental is sponsoring it. And so we're going to call it Floss. Um, that actually is Sunday afternoon at one o'clock. All of these events are free and open to the public. And so um, that will be the first of really uh, an entire week of things that are going to happen at a Mall of America. Uh, they have all kinds of things for youth Um the links will be out there with parades. The mascots will be out there. They'll have some events for toddlers. Um, every day there is something from open till close at Mall of America, again, Sunday to Sunday. So that's just such a neat environment out there anyway. Most events are in the rotunda, the Huntington Bank rotunda area right there uh, as you come in. And um, of course, it'll be set up at a basketball floor will be set up. I just think it would be a lot of fun and a nice warm environment, although it looks like we're going to have good weather for right. the women's basketball final four. Um, it's still good to be inside on occasion. So I think encourage people to do that. Um, one other thing, a couple of other things, but one thing in particular I want to draw your attention to is what's called bounce. So Buick sponsors the bounce. And what that is, is it's for kids under the age of 18. And on that Sunday, so it would be championship game day at 1 PM, they provide basketballs and a free t-shirt to every child that comes and will bounce in a parade around the convention center. Right now we have 1,000 children that are signed up. We'd like to get 2,000 people involved. Um, you can register on site last minute at 11 a.m. And again, the parade of bouncing with the kids starts at 1 p.m. We'd love to have you um, sign up online to, to get registered so that we're prepared for you. Rachel Bannum is going to be leading the parade of these hopefully 2,000 kids around the convention center. So um, that is something to, to really look forward and to uh, bring your children out to. I think it would really be a lot of fun. There are uh, a lot of activities that take place really closer to the event. Um, Turney Town is something that it's um, in the convention center and it would be on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's really just an opportunity to engage. There's a lot of fun activities, interactive games, there's speakers, there's speakers on leadership um, series. There are appearances that will be made by uh, former WNBA players and wonderful college, past college players that will be there. Um, uh, there is a Super Saturday concert that's going to take place. The artist has not yet been announced. We're all still waiting for that, uh, but something that would be really fun to look forward to. There are practices on Saturday that are going to be open to the public. And this will be the first time they've done this on the women's side. So obviously we'll be down to two teams on Saturday between 1230 and 3:30 on Saturday. You can go into the target center. It's open to the public. It's free to watch the two final teams practice, which I think would be really fun. 
And then Party on the Plaza uh, is really just a giant pep rally uh, before the games. Um, And so Friday afternoon and Sunday afternoon, they'll be open. There'll be live music. There'll be food. There'll just be activities. Of course, the uh, fans from the various institutions will be there with their pep rallies and just a lot of tremendous energy that's out there. And again, um, we're set up so well for us all to be together uh, in a nice, safe and secure environment and just enjoying um, great sports, tremendous young women who will be coming and showing their talents and the coaches that will be with them. Yeah, it's amazing. And so many of those events you mentioned, uh, the Mall of America events, do people need to reserve? Is it uh, free tickets or can they just show up unannounced and take part in some of those activities? They can just show up. They, they absolutely can. We'd love to have you register in advance for the bounce just so that we know how many children that we will have. But um, everything else you do not need to register. We just like to have you come out and and be in the streets and, and, and be involved. There's also a court dedication, which I think is so cool. So Nancy Lieberman dreamed court dedication. Every year that the NCAA comes into town, they they want to leave a legacy um, as part of this. Again, it's just a huge historic event. And so what they've done this year is that they have identified uh, a school, a public school in Minneapolis. It's called the Whole uh, STEM Academy. I'm sorry, the Hall STEM Academy uh, Academy of Minneapolis public school. So um, a lot of construction folks have come in and helped enhance this, but basically on Wednesday afternoon, we'll have a dedication of this court that's going to go into an area that needs this type of activity. Uh, Again, for young people to take advantage of activity and recreation and the great sport of basketball. So so that will be really fun too. And anyone can come to that as well. Um, They have throughout the last several months, Um, launch the read to the final four. So we do have elementary kids um, who have been reading books and um, they're keeping track of the time. As of late yesterday afternoon, these large number of classrooms and children who have been reading books over 12 million minutes have been read. And uh, eventually they'll bring the finalists to, uh, to the final four and they'll acknowledge them uh, with a nice scholarship that will be given to um to their school. So there's a lot of neat things that go on too that uh, maybe don't involve people having to be somewhere, but just the activity of getting them engaged too. Yeah, for sure. Is there a uh, kind of a clearinghouse webpage that people can go to that they can see all these activities and maybe plan a calendar like, oh, Tuesday I want to see this and Thursday maybe I better stop here and uh, how do I register for the bounce? Uh, you know, the bounce to, to, to uh, yeah, you know, you think about that bounce, it's kind of cool. For some, it might be a souvenir. For others, it literally might be a basketball for them to go play, right? I mean, yes. so that, that's kind of a cool part of it. But anyway, is there a webpage that, um, that they can go to it, uh, for all this? Yeah, there, there is, Mike. It's the official website is ncaa.com backslash women's, W-O-M-E-N-S, final four, F-I-N-A-L-F-O-U-R. So ncaa.com backslash women's final four. All of the activities, the events um, are showcased there. All of the times, the dates, the locations will be there. And I really do hope that people take advantage of the opportunity. It's it's good to be out uh, and about and seeing people and being involved in activity and just getting back to um, 
as normal as we can possibly be. No doubt. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it, and, and I know a lot of people are. It's going to be some high-level basketball with some great teams, whoever make it this far. Um, let me ask you one. Let, permit me a question here on uh, on men's basketball, because I know you, uh, as Deputy Athletic Director, uh, were a big piece on the selection committee of a year ago this week that yes. hired, that hired yes. Ben Johnson. And so now year one with uh, with Coach Johnson is in the book. So I, I have to get your, your uh, feelings on, on how year one went and how uh, you look now as uh, he heads into year two as the head coach at the University of Minnesota on the men's side? Well, we just feel really, really good. We hired the right man. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind we hired the right person at the right time for us and for him and his career. Uh, I feel like he, um, along with Mark Coyle, of course, he's a final decision maker on this, but Ben had just been at the right places under the right head coaches and programs were thriving that he had always been involved with. Um, He just did a great job of um, presenting his vision. And, and, you know, everything that he talked to us about in um, Mark Coyle's living room with President Gable has carried out. Um, He absolutely delivers on, on what he says that he will do and beyond, to tell you the truth. I think he's getting very comfortable being in the head coach chair He's growing into it in, in that he understands the influence now, maybe more than ever, that a head coach here at a Big Ten institution in the state of Minnesota has. And, and what I mean by that, all, all good stuff, um, I've seen him reach out to um, those who are less privileged, that those who high school kids might be bullying, um, to those who might have been assaulted. And I've seen him reach out and talk to those individuals and just try to make them feel better, that life is good, that there's hope. Um, so he carries that torch, um, but then he easily swings and is uh, just a remarkable head coach for these young men who I think we saw, um, in my opinion, the expectations were far exceeded. Um, as you mentioned a year ago, right about this time, he was at his press conference. It wasn't very many weeks later that he had two men uh, on that roster returning. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen, to tell you the truth. I thought they did a remarkable job. He got his, ha- his staff hired, and then to come in and to recruit all of these transfers back to the Minnesota state of Minnesota in many cases, um, but to come together and gel over the course of the summer and be as competitive as they were, really all but for one, two, or three games where we felt like we just weren't very competitive in those games, is really a, a remarkable, I think, a tremendous foundation to build on. Um, his culture, everybody talks about this, but I think his culture is um, its legitimate and it's genuine. And uh, the men know that he and his staff care deeply about them. And I think they, they run through the wall for him. They play hard for him. They never give up. I, I, I mean, they never give up. There's some I listened to you a lot of times, Mike, when I'd be driving that when they came back in the Iowa game, I think we were down, what, 23 points. I was all but done with listening to that game yeah. and son of a gun, they come back. So, um, you know, that's unusual uh, to have a team come back time after time like that. It's unfortunately we were down, you know, to start with. We, we get that. But he's going to be recruiting um, his tail off. He's a tireless worker. His staff is very committed to him. We feel like we're in a really good position and um, looking forward to just watching this grow. 
Yeah, I, I, I've been taken by how much he, right from day one, had a presence about him. That quite, quite honestly, I wasn't sure he wasn't a uh, had never been a head coach before. I had seen him here, obviously during his time with with Coach Patino. But I, I surprised maybe is not the right word, but impressed maybe is a better word. That man from from right off the get go, he had a plan. He knew what he was doing, and he had this presence. Um, I've talked to a few different people uh, that were on the committee, and you may have shared this with me. I know we had you on at halftime and on the broadcast that you were really kept by the passion he had for the University of Minnesota, which, as you know, in a place, uh, it, it's a unique place, and there ha- it, 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 if it's not a fit, it doesn't work. And it was clear that this is a fit. And, and can you take us back to that, that search committee deal and, and how uh, Ben captured you in that way? Yes, yes. And, and, and there are so many stories. He'd probably kill me if I told too <laughs> many of them, but there are a lot of stories. I think he's shared with you that we uh, – called him uh, Saturday morning and said, hey, we got to have you here. Can you, can you get here today? Sure. What time? And I said, well, believe it or not, we are, have you booked on a flight in about an hour and a half. Um, he has his dog, Bruce. <laughs> he had to you know, get someplace to be taken care of and just throw stuff in a bag and, and get to the plane. He even had trouble um, parking. I think all of the parking lots that he was going to were full one after another. Um, but he made it here and he just did an amazing job the commitment. I, I could tell that he had played this through in his mind a number of times. If he was ever in this position, um, what would he like to say to the committee? What would he like to share? And what was his vision? I'm sure he thought about that as an assistant coach. What would he do different? And some, what would he do better? I think we all would think of that uh, if we were an assistant coach and thinking about what he might do. But he just articulated one thing after another Um Certainly the type of young man he was going to recruit here, the culture he was going to have, the assistant coaches, what he would want, but then how he would be involved in the community, that he would do it the right way here, which is extremely important to Minnesotans. We want you to win. We want you to do it the right way. And that was very, very clear that he understood that. Um, I have to tell you, this is a part that he probably is going to kill me when he hears this, but when Mark Coyle um, offered him the job, He was so emotional that he could hardly say anything. And we were on the phone with him. We were actually just here in my office. Mark and I called him and it would, it took him really about a minute to to gain his composure. He just said, things like this don't happen to men like me. And I I tell you what, Mark looked at me and he said, we've hired the right guy because he knew uh, with that type of emotion and passion, um, how coveted this position was to him. And he has not let us down, not one minute, uh, not for one second. He has absolutely done what we've asked him to do, and and uh, he's delivered on all fronts. Yeah, and I think it's just you know that that tells the story of the fit because just as an, just for the fun of it, let's say you and Mark Coyle were the leaders of. I'm gonna just throw a school out. You know, I don't I don't care. Kansas State, who has a job opening, uh, it's the mm-hmm. only reason I said. I don't know if the answers would have been the same, and I'm not sure the reaction would have been the same. Doesn't mean Ben wouldn't have won there had he gone there, but. It's Minnesota. It's Ben's home city. It's Ben's home school. And that that's the fit right there. Right. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And, you know, there's we're in a huge institution. And so there are layers of things. And having been here before and at other institutions and other larger systems, he, he understood that, too. And so there's an appreciation for this great institution. There's definitely an appreciation for the academic rigor that the young man will go through. Uh, when they come here. The expectations are high um, that they continue to progress um, towards their degree, which all of these young men have. Um, 
in May, we're going to have six men graduate, many of them with their master's degree. Now, that just doesn't happen in a lot of places. But that was something that was critically important to him uh, to get Eric Curry to his master's degree and all of the other guys that will be um, exiting. I I hate to see him go, to tell you the truth. We really fell in love with all of them. I think Gopher Nation really embraced and fell in love with this team and these young men. But they have certainly left their mark and um, something that they can be proud of for years and and decades to come that they started it. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they were there at the foundation level. There's, there's no question about that. Well, hey, um, I've kept you even longer than I than I said I would. We appreciate all great, good, compelling info. Uh, you, you, it's fun sometimes to lift the curtain a little bit and let fans hear kind of how some of that stuff unfolded. Certainly with the with the search committee. So we appreciate that, and uh, also all the great info on the uh, women's final four. It's going to be an exciting uh, March Madness period here over the next few weeks. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it, and. Uh, again, just a, again, a great opportunity to host this jewel of event, and uh, we'll do it the a first-class manner. There's no doubt about that. That's Golden Gopher Deputy Athletic Director Julie Manning on Episode 12 of our Go Gopher Podcast. Our thanks also to Athletic Director Mark Coyle. The Go Gopher Podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com. We are also brought to you by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland. Brandon Morton is our producer and technical expert. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast right now and right here. It's absolutely free to listen. We'll talk again next week.